0: Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that's living and active. And you said if we wait upon you, you will renew our strength like the eagles and lift us up. And we pray that you would lift these young ones up. Lord, you said in your word, Isaiah, that people living in darkness have seen a great light. A people living in the land the shadow of death, a light has dawned, and so we pray that your light would shine forth uh, through your word in the hearts of these young ones, as well as us who are here. Holy Spirit, you know the, the darkness and the gloom that many might be feeling in this season, the loneliness, the brokenness. Would you penetrate that through your relentless love and pursuit of your people, of people that are seeking you? And God, we commit this uh, time to you now, in Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to faith, and welcome to the last message on our hard teachings of Jesus. (laughs) We've been in a, a series over the course of the last several months on uh, the words that Jesus gave in the gospel accounts that were somewhat difficult to uh, to receive or to hear, to understand, or even to do mainly. Uh, we've talked about the sovereignty of God. Uh, we've talked about the worry. We've talked about lust. We've talked about uh, the sword in the Christian. Uh, we've talked about many different things, hell and and persecution and loving our enemies, uh, and hopefully uh, you've been able to to receive uh, the gospel in the midst of those hard teachings. If you if you would like to catch that, you can always go to our website, uh, fcfchurch.org, and, uh, and those messages are listed on there. Um, one of the things that we covered, uh, tried to cover, was the challenge of marriage, and uh, in the process of that, I recognize I I didn't really address. The issue of singleness in the kingdom of God sufficiently, and so there will be a, a message focused on that in January. Uh, we want to make sure that we are being faithful uh, to all of our our people, and we have many singles in our body and in this community. We want to be faithful to what God uh, wants to speak in their lives. Uh, but I am very grateful for the team of uh, preachers that God has brought here at Faith. Uh, having uh, besides Pastor Stan uh, Blake and and uh, Vic, and if I got run over by a truck today, I would feel comfortable that we have a good strength of preachers in our midst, and some of you might be asking for that, Uh, the truck part, but thank you for holding off on that. Well, today we're going to look at this final message uh, in the hard teachings of Advent, uh, the virgin birth of Christ. Uh, It was not only hard to comprehend, but it was hard to accept, as we shall see. Let's consider Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and following. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, just being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Trauma happens, and we wonder why. Uh, Some of you can see I, I have my hand in this splint, and some of you know what happened. Basically, what happened was that a salt shaker fell off the cabinet, a glass salt shaker. I in the process of trying to catch it. It shattered, and a shard of glass went into my knuckle. It just looked like a regular flesh wound. You know, I bandaged it up. It seemed like there was no big deal. In three days, you couldn't even tell that I cut myself. And then I went to the gym, picked up a weight, and I felt a pop in my thumb. And then I could no longer bend my left thumb. And Apparently, I had cut a tendon, and then picking up that weight kind of finished it off. I went to a hand surgeon. He said it was the most unusual thing he ever saw. He said, I've been doing this for 25 years, and I've never seen anything like this. It had to be a surgical strike right at that tendon. Uh, I'm grateful for surgery and and medical care in Baltimore to get hand surgeons to repair that kind of stuff. But... uh, You know, I have to say that of all the surgeries I've had, I've had a bunch of them. (laughs) This was one of the most painful ones—hand surgery—and I just remember in the middle of the night having to like wake up with pain. And as the nights continued to go on, uh, I had these kinds of thoughts invading my consciousness, which was, Lord, this is really painful. (laughs) You know, is there something more that You want to teach me? in this wound? Is there some kind of unaddressed wound in my life that I haven't been giving enough attention to? You know, maybe I need to be a better husband, which is true. I need to be a better father. Maybe I need to be a better pastor. Whatever it is, Jesus, is there something you want to teach me? You know, I know that many of you never go there you know, when something happens, you don't think, well, I did something wrong to deserve this. But if you are in that camp, by the way, David said in Psalm 77, he said, Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? So if, you're, if you think some of those thoughts in the midst of your own pain, uh, you're in good company. When trauma happens, uh, we wonder why. I got an email from a GBMC. It talked about this particular uh, season, highlighting that while the Christmas season, a holiday season, is a season of joy for many, for others it's a time of increased depression and anxiety and sadness that can spiral down into a person for a deep personal crisis. and And they said, don't wait for the crisis. Get help. You know, the primary doctor cares are having extended hours and. And so they're encouraging people to address those those issues. But we are pressed with hard things, not only physically, but mentally, emotionally. And I know that many in our midst are experiencing in this particular season uh, great traumas and losses and brokenness. And you wonder why, why? We know deep down that something is wrong. In our universe. Well, Matthew 1 reminds us that the God of the universe is not removed from our trauma. He not only knows and cares about the trauma in our lives, but He has come to address it. And Matthew 1 particularly tells us that Christmas or Christ's coming is about God entering our trauma and being triumphant over it. Matthew shows us the trauma, the triumph, and the trust of Christ's coming. And so we read as this passage, this narrative of the Christmas story unfolds, it opens with a trauma. You know, when Jesus, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. There's a lot of trauma in the Christmas story. You have the, uh, the trauma of a life crisis of an unplanned pregnancy. Uh, and Then to intensify that life crisis, you have an unwanted divorce uh, that was uh, being prepared. There's lots of trauma. Matthew's account focuses on Joseph's experience in this trauma. Luke's account focuses on Mary's. But try to put yourself in uh, the shoes of Joseph in this account. Uh, They were a young, engaged couple. Uh, The future was before them. There was an anticipation of their union Uh, in this culture of engagement. Engagement. Engagement was a legal binding uh, thing. It was a covenant they entered into publicly uh, before other witnesses. They signed actually a contract, and uh, the 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 man gave the father or the bride's family uh, a, a gift of money. Uh, the father of the bride gave a dowry uh, to set up home a new household for the couple. Uh, The groom gave the bride uh, some type of gift as a commitment towards uh, this marriage. And they were considered, they were actually called husband and wife while they were engaged. Uh, They were not allowed to to live together or have sex together. That was to wait. And often the uh, engagement period was about a year. And then when they had the marriage, it was a big blowout party. It often sometimes lasted more than a week. Uh, of course, Jesus, was his first miracle was at such a wedding party. Uh, sexual unfaithfulness with another person during that period uh, was considered adultery. Uh, and in the Old Testament, one of the, uh, the, the punishments for that was stoning. Uh, in the New Testament time, that was very rare. But so, what we find here is that Mary gets this encounter in Luke's account. The angel Gabriel meets her in this dream tells her that she's highly favored, tells her that uh, she will conceive and give birth to this son. His name will be Jesus. He will sit on this throne, uh, the David's throne. And she says, well, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel says, well, uh, what the, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and what uh, it will be conceived was be from, from God. And so she says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be as, uh, you know, you've said. And then she and the angel says, and so just to make sure that you know that I'm serious about this and that miracles happen and that nothing's impossible with God, your cousin Elizabeth, who's in her later years is expecting a child as well. So the angel leaves, they're in Nazareth. Mary immediately says with haste she went to go to Judah to, to see Elizabeth. Now try to imagine your a young couple, and this is like four days away in terms of walking. They were a poor couple. They had to like walk. And all of a sudden, your fiancé says, I'll see you later. I, you know, I've got a message that my cousin Elizabeth is expecting. Uh, how did you get that message? Well, uh, it wasn't by mail, uh, email, snail mail. Anyhow, I had to go. And she leaves, okay? Kind of a surprise departure, probably created some level of question in Joseph's mind. But the bigger question was when she returned three to four months later, and she's now bearing a child. Now, I'll try to imagine what kind of trauma that was for Joseph. And you can't think about that conversation. I wonder what that conversation was when she returned and she's pregnant. Now, I think that Mary, after she met Elizabeth and, jo- and uh, John the Baptist leaped in the mother's womb of Elizabeth, uh, and then Mary gives this great praise, that recognizing that what is happening to her is certainly divine, she kind of came to the conclusion that she might well be a single mother. She might have to bear Jesus as a single mother in that, in that culture, which would have been very difficult. But, you know, she, at this point, Joseph didn't know anything. And she comes back, and Joseph finds out that she's carrying a child, and he's trying to find out how this happened. And Mary says, you won't believe it. Try me. Well, I had this dream, the Holy Spirit, uh, or the Gabriel came to me, Angel Gabriel, and he said, that uh, I'm highly favored, and and I, I've got, I've been conceived uh, in my womb with the by the Holy Spirit to have this baby boy named Jesus. Oh, you're right. I, I, this is a little hard to believe, Mary. How about something else? Can you imagine what? How would Joseph even accept such a notion? You know, and so. The only thing that he could think of is that she's either lost her mind or she's been unfaithful or something, but something has tragically happened in their relationship, and now he feels like the only way forward is by divorce, by a official divorce. And in that culture, uh, they had a certificate of a divorce a man could give to uh, his fiance or his, his, his wife uh, if he found something indecent, and... There was also a case in Deuteronomy chapter 22 where a woman, and this would have been more understandable, that in the process of her travels out in the country, uh, she was raped by a, a, a horrible man, and this created this pregnancy. But she, you know, there was no notion of that. In that case, the Old Testament law would have put the man to death and would have protected the woman. We don't know what that conversation was, but this is what we do know. There was a great trauma in their engagement. There was a great trauma in their engagement. You know, when you think about the Christmas songs that you you hear, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the happiest season of all. It probably wasn't like that for Mary and Joseph in that first uh, Christmas experience, but you know, this tells us something. It says Christmas or the Christ coming doesn't mean that God will remove the trauma and darkness in our lives. But what it means is that he will be with us in it. He will bring light in the trauma. It's not about the removal of darkness. It's about Christ and God shining his light in our darkness. And so this, this passage in Isaiah, people walking in darkness, they've seen a great light. The people living in the land of the shadow of death have... The light has dawned. Uh, Jesus, it says in uh, John chapter one, that in Him was life and light, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so, the Christ coming isn't that He removes the darkness at this time, but He enters into the darkness, and He enters into our traumas. And Christmas means God with us in our darkness. It means Emmanuel, God is with us. And Why didn't that angel tell Joseph at the same time that he told Mary? Wouldn't that have solved a lot of the traumas? You ever think about that? Why, why is it that they didn't get the message together? That would have been the way to do it, right? You know, God's ways are not our ways. <laughs> And God has his own agenda for taking his precious servants through their own trials and traumas. You know, it says the silver is for uh, the furnace and gold is for the, the crucibles, for the silver and the furnace or gold, but God tests the hearts. And God has a test for each one of us. He's shaping our hearts uh, to trust him. But it is also true that in the midst of our temptations and our weaknesses and the points where we are about ready to break, we find this verse from second Corinthians 10:13 that no temptation has come to you but what is common to man, and God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond which you are able, and with that temptation will provide a way out an escape and so the angel comes while Joseph is anticipating this divorce. The angel comes to him, tells him what is going on, and it, re- it provides a, a resolution at that time. But what we need to know is that Christ's coming not only enters into the trauma of our darkness, but Christ's coming also means our lives will be disrupted, right? It will be that our plans and our agendas and our kind of our perfect ideas of Way things should go in our lives or gets disrupted with Christ's coming. God will intrude on our lives. He'll crash our parties. In many ways, Christ's coming means that He will take us through traumas and suffering. And you might wonder, where's the Merry Christmas in that? Well, first Peter. Says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to, to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Hebrews tells us consider all all hardships as God's discipline, as His means, uh, to to love His children and to shape their lives, and that they would they would. Uh, they would have harvests of righteousness. And so God is committed to you. He puts you in his gymnasium of suffering and traumas so that you would be able to shine forth his glory. Those are hard things, but that is, that is the Christian call. That is the Christian life that he comes to us and he shapes us through these sufferings that we might experience the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection and his abiding presence. You know, there's times that we cannot experienced the love and the presence of Christ except through suffering. Uh, I have a good friend. He's in another state. He's been suffering presently from a prolonged and unknown illness that's creating deep anxiety and physical exhaustion and fatigue and it's almost incapacitated him from working. It It has dampened his once high energy and joyful personality. Yet, in the process, this young man has found himself diving deeper into the scriptures. Uh, he has memorized six chapters of Hebrews. Uh, he is finding himself asking people to pray for him. He knows that he's weak. And he got an email from a, a pa- his pastor there, and he shared with me some of the words from this pastor, and he gave him a quote from this young Uh, minister by the name of Samuel Rutherford back in the 1600s. He was a Scottish Presbyterian pastor, and he had written a woman who was suffering illness in his own church. And uh, in that letter to this woman, he says, Whether God come to his children with a rod or a crown, if he come himself with it, it is well. Welcome, welcome, Jesus. What way soever thou come, if we can get a sight of thee? And sure I am, it is better to be sick, providing Christ come to the bedside and draw by the curtains and say, Courage, I am thy salvation, than to enjoy health, being lusty and strong, and never to be visited by God. I know there's some old words there. I think you capture the idea that Christ visits us in our suffering and in our traumas. He is with us, Emmanuel. But while there is significant narrative around the trauma to Joseph and Mary in this Christmas story, we must see beyond their life and their life traumas to the trauma that is under all of the traumas and all the losses and all the afflictions that we face, and that is the trauma of sin. For here we see the triumph over the ultimate trauma of sin. For Christmas is not only about Christ entering our traumas, it's Him triumphantly entering conquering our trauma of sin. And so the angel says to Joseph, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That is the mission statement of Jesus, and it's repeated in different ways. And if you happen to be in the class in the Gospel of John over in Soul Food with Dr. Rebecca Eklund, she captured this from John's gospel where, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Over and over again, the mission of Jesus to address our sin is repeated throughout uh, the scriptures and throughout the gospels. Jesus did not come uh, principally as a good teacher, although he was. He did not come principally as a great moral example for us to follow, although he was. He came principally Uh, to save us from our sins. He didn't come to save us from the Roman oppressive government or to uh, uh, oppressive taxation or to secure people to be safe in this world. He did not come to provide personal peace and affluence or to uh, be the dreams of all people and, and all the things that they could have in this world. Jesus came to save us from our sins. It's not a popular thought Today, uh, the issue when you talk about sin, this, this mark, this spiritual stain, uh, we don't, we don't necessarily like to talk about sin that way. It's better we like to talk about mistakes. I made a mistake. I think it was uh, Richard Nixon on his way out after he had to leave the presidency over Watergate scandal. He says, "I made, uh, I made some mistakes." We avoid the language. Of sin, but this passage reminds us that that is the purpose that Jesus came into the world to save us uh, from our sins. This passage was not designed just to to make people feel guilty or to make people feel uh, like sinners, although we are, although we there is guilt. This passage was given to us to make us feel beloved, to make us know that God is a rescuer and that he has come to save us from our sins and that Jesus was born a baby to live among us uh, with all this, the miseries of this world, to be involved with the sinners of this world in order to redeem sinners out of this world. You know, his very name, his very name, Jesus' very name means savior. Uh, it is uh, the Greek word Jesus is from the Hebrew word Joshua, which means uh, Jehovah uh, will save. And it's a a deliberate uh, emphasis on will save. Uh, It is not that he might save or maybe he'll save, but he will indeed save. Jehovah will bring salvation. So every time you hear the name Jesus, you should be hearing the name Savior. Savior. And, uh, you know, Jesus' name is very popular in our world. People say it all the time. Uh, Jesus or Jesus Christ, they will say that name not even knowing that they're saying, I need a Savior. (laughs) But that is, you know, God's truth is all throughout our universe and it keeps bubbling up and we need this Savior. So this one enters. Our trauma, but it gets to the root, the source of all of our trauma, which is sin. You know, this past week we saw uh, the trial, uh, the first part of the trials of uh, Freddie Gray attempting to understand or try to encourage justice uh, for why uh, Freddie Gray was was, uh, killed in police custody and to get the root of who's responsible for that, and there was this first trial with officer William Porter, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, that jury couldn't decide together whether he was guilty or not guilty, and so it was a hung jury, and and they might uh, retry that, but here's the thing, God is not confused about what happened with Freddie Gray. Uh, God is not confused about what happened with us and who is guilty. God has all of the records, And this is his judgment in Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all guilty. You are all guilty. You have a death sentence over you. The wages of sin is death, the scriptures tell us. The soul that sins is the one who must die. Your iniquities have separated you from God. And so these are... The aspects of the penalties for sin, J.I. Packer says, What is sin? It's a universal deformity of the human nature found at every point in every person. It's uh, the missing God's mark. It's rebellion against God's rule. It's transgressing God's laws, disobeying God's directive. It's offending God's purity, and it incurs God's wrath and judgment. Sin stands revealed as an energy of irrational, negative, and rebellious reaction to God's call and command, a spirit of fighting God in order to plague God. The root of sin is pride and enmity against God. You know, uh, Billy Graham is in the process of writing his last book. Uh, He's 97 years old. And uh, he's re- writing a book, The Reason for My Hope, Salvation. And someone asked him this question in an interview. Do you call yourself an evangelical or a Christian first, and why? And this is what Billy Graham said. What really matters is how God sees me. He isn't concerned with labels. He is concerned with the state of man's soul. The Bible tells me that I am, a, I am first a sinner, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But because of the saving grace Jesus has extended to me and my repentance of sin, I am his child, having been saved by the blood of my Savior on the cross. And that is, that's the gospel. That is good news. It's not that I can work to earn this. I am helpless. I need rescuing. I need a Savior. I am dead in my trespasses. And so Jesus has come to save sinners. You know, to make this issue of sin more clear, Matthew gives us a genealogy right before this narrative of the Christmas story. Uh, He gives the genealogy from Abraham on down to Joseph. And what we find is uh, in that genealogy, there's 46 people that span 2,000 years, and they were all ancestors of Jesus, Jesus. some were considered great people of faith, like Abraham and David and Josiah. A bunch we know very little to nothing about. But what does come forth is names associated with great scandals, great, great moral failures. What it does include, there's the names of five women in this account, and that was unheard of in Jewish genealogies. God esteems women. But here Matthew makes a very bold and clear association with the bloodline of Jesus being connected with scandalous sinners and society's marginal outcasts. Judah is mentioned in verse 3, the father of Perez and Zerah, uh, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar was the Judah's daughter-in-law who felt unjustly treated by Judah, and she disguised herself as a prostitute and had sex with him and bore Perez and Zerah. That's in the, that's in the birth line of Jesus. And then there's Rahab. Uh, she was a Gentile woman of Jericho, a prostitute believed to have Uh, running a brothel there Uh, and she became a hero and say the two Hebrew spies and then there's Ruth Uh, she's mentioned as a Moabitess the origins of Moabites was that Lot's daughters got drunk had sex with him and the older daughter bore the son named Moab and so the Moabs were uh, the descendants of a drunken incestuous relationship and Ruth was the great-great-grandmother and she was a Moabitess and then you have David the father of Solomon Whose mother had been Uriah's wife, uh, whose whose, uh, mother's name was Bathsheba, the woman that David committed adultery with, who got pregnant, and whose husband David then murdered. Solomon, the son, you know, once the wisest man of the world, uh, became probably one of the most foolish men. You know, he married 600 women, had 300 concubines, and uh, they led his heart astray. And then there's a number of kings listed. Uh, many of these wicked kings, Ahaz, sacrificed his son on the altar and followed detestable practices of the nations. Manasseh led them astray and did more evil than the nations that the Lord had destroyed before them. Amnon. On and on. What is the point that Matthew is making in the list and these highlights? It's that Jesus chose not to be born in some type of pure blue bloodline of perfect saints. He was chosen to be connected with sinners, uh, scandalous sinners. God is the lover of sinners and outcasts. He gets down and dirty in our humanity. God brought salvation out of scandal and salvation out of our sorrow. God works in history, is not limited uh, to human failures and sins that he works through big sinners and he works through ordinary sinners and the marginalized and the despised. He will associate with and use all kinds of people to accomplish his purposes. God does not choose us based on our righteousness or our goodness, but on the base of his pure love and grace. God is faithful to his covenant promises to Israel and to the nations. And so Matthew, he sets this stage. He sets the stage for Jesus being born we sinners, born in a crisis, born in a context of shame and disgrace and dishonor, the rumors of Jesus' illegitimacy and scandal, because God is determined to be Emmanuel with us, with sinners. God meets us in our deepest sins. God meets us with his grace and his presence, his forgiveness and his mercy. And so Christ, Christmas, Christ's coming, means that God has entered into our trauma of sin in order to save us out of sin. And so Jesus is born into this, but he, it's a virgin birth. It's, he's conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, it doesn't really say why he had to be. It just says that, that was the prophecy of the Scriptures, that the Holy Spirit is the one that, uh, was that, that brought in this conception about. But the core thing is, That we need a Savior, and Jesus was that. Your sin, my sin. What do we do with that sin? How do we acknowledge that sin? Uh, Charles Spurgeon had a great prayer, a great uh, prayer in one of his meditations. Uh, I know this language might be a little bit old, but just bear with me. Lord, save me from my sins. By the name of Jesus, I am encouraged thus to pray. Save me from my past sins, that the habit of them may not hold me captive Save me from my constitutional sins that I may may not be the slave of my own weaknesses. Save me from the sins which are continually under my eye that I may not lose my horror of them. Save me from secret sins, sins unperceived by me, from my want of light. Save me from sudden and surprising sins. Let me not be carried off my feet by a rush of temptation. Save me, Lord, from every sin. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Then he says, Thou alone canst do this. I cannot snap my own chains or slay my... Own enemies. Thou knowest temptation, for thou wast tempted. Thou knowest sin, for thou didst bear the weight of it. Thou knowest how to succor me in my hour of conflict. Thou canst save me from sinning and save me when I have sinned. It is promised in thy very name that thou wilt do this, and I pray thee, let me this day. Verify the prophecy. Let me not give way to temper or pride or despondency or any form of evil. But do thou save me unto holiness of life, that the name of Jesus may be glorified in me abundantly. That's a great prayer, Spurgeon. Save me from my sins. You know, that is the call that we find here in this passage. The call to trust Christ. This call. Christ, who enters into our trauma, who addresses the underlying trauma of all traumas, our sin, that we might trust him, that we might know him, that we might be saved uh, from our sins. And that's what we find for, for Joseph. He trusted these words from the angel, and he took Mary as his wife, and he called his name Jesus. And so, the call here is to trust, the call here is to trust this Savior, and to and to to confess our sins. It's also a call to support each other in our own weaknesses, in our own brokenness. You know, he took Mary as his wife. He would not allow her to be the single mother and to experience the shame and all of the disgrace that was probably surrounding her. He says, I'm going to own this son. I'm going to be this husband. And he supported her. And, you know, as the body of Christ, uh, there are people that are broken in our midst. And we can be the, the the people that bring the grace of Christ's support and presence in their lives. And I, I've already heard in, you know from how covenant groups, our community groups, are, are encouraging and supporting each other. If you're not in a community group, uh, I just encourage you to get connected so that you can experience that kind of support and love. You know, regardless of whether... We have Republican candidates or Democratic candidates for the presidency. There are universal promises and assurances that every presidential candidate tends to make. If you vote for me, I'll keep you safe. If you vote for me, I'll fix the economy. I'll make jobs, I'll cut taxes, I'll clean up the environment. I'll eliminate national debt. If you vote for me, you'll have good health care. You'll have great education for your children and a secure retirement. If you vote for me, I will bring the change that's needed and I will make America great again. Now, while some candidates may be able to do some of these things better than other ca- ca- candidates and we need great wisdom for that, it is really not within their... It is not. In their ability or power to rescue everybody and do all the things that are promised. There's a verse in Jeremiah 20 the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. <laughs> and we haven't been saved. And so we have to be careful what we expect, but we are called to be the best citizens and to, to pray for our government leaders and to encourage us to, to be faithful in this whole process. Of election to encourage peace and the flourishing of our cities and our nation and world. But you know what we need? We need a savior. We need a savior leader. We need a rescuer, redeemer, reconciler, restorer leader. We need a king who can save us from our sins and who has saved us and will bring us into his glory where there will be no more traumas or suffering or pain. And that is exactly what this king. Has promised to do. And because he lived, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, he is your Savior. He can be your Savior now. So, what is your call to him? To trust him and to worship him. So, this Christmas, who are you trusting? Jesus says, Trust me. Trust me. I will not fail you. I will keep all of my promises. I have come for you, I have lived for you, I have died for you, I have risen for you, and I reign in heaven for you. Trust me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you give us uh, this gospel message to remind us of why you came. Lord, you came to to save us from our sins. Lord, we pray that you would uh, help us to realize that regardless of where we are in that journey of understanding all of these things, uh, we pray that there'll be one thing, and that is that we would trust you to save us. And so, God, I pray for those in our midst who are feeling the special brokenness in the season, that you would bring your comfort in your presence, that you would be Emmanuel uh, with them. I pray for others that are maybe questioning uh, the reality of your presence and your claims, that uh, you would speak deep truths into their hearts. Uh, God, we can't save ourselves, so we need you to, to do that, Holy Spirit. And so we commit ourselves and commit this season to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.